Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Dr. Kate Truitt. She's a licensed clinical psychologist. She's an expert in trauma and stress-related disorders. And you're also an entrepreneur. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. You, you're doing a ton of cool stuff, and you can talk about a lot of stuff I've kind of been curious about in the last little while, and, and it's kind of seemed to be kind of a lot more popular online, and, and more and more people mm-hmm. are, are talking about it. And so I thought I would have you on the show, but maybe before we kind of dive into exactly what you're doing, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Okay. Uh, I am a Midwestern girl through and through. I was uh, okay. born in Milwaukee, and then uh, my dad was in the beer industry, which is really sad because I'm celiac, so I don't get to partake. But, um, got you. I'm same, same to, with me. I got it. So, uh, yeah, bummer, huh? Yep. And um, we moved to Denver, and then he eventually landed in Kansas City, where my father and his brother um, launched a seminar company, which... It's interesting now because I had my own training business, so I guess it's in the family blood. Sure. And then eventually moved out to Los Angeles in 1999 and have been here ever since. Okay, so So, what made you move to L.A.? (laughs) Um, I was a model. I started modeling when I was about 14 and moved out here to kind of follow that dream and my parents had a mandate I had to go to college so I was like well I'm gonna do this and keep you happy as well sure and had the vision of not really staying in college with the great LA modeling career in front of me but I got a little bit more into the scene and experienced some the stuff some of the politics that went on behind the scenes and realized you know wasn't quite for me And so dove into school and ended up graduating. I went to Loyola Marymount and I have a bachelor's in business administration from there as well as a bachelor's of psychology. Okay. And I went completely 180 to I'm going to be an uber geek now. I I think that's great though. But I'm curious (laughs) what made you kind of originally just decide to go in and take business? Uh, my family background. Okay, so that's fair. My my yeah, we're we're a family of entrepreneurs, sure. and I think that's again. Even my sister now is an entrepreneur out in New York City. That's great, and it's just in her blood. Sure, no, that, that and makes then a lot doing sense. yeah, and then doing the business side, I started to really look at the human side of things, and I think being in LA, seeing the huge differentials in all the d- types of communities and the people who live here really made me very interested in studying humans as well as the business world. So my initial goal was IO, industrial organization, and then I just fell in love with mental health. And so I was like, I'll do public health policy and then started getting really deep into trauma and actually working in rat labs, oddly enough. Interesting. Yeah, super geeky. And No, that's great though. Yeah, it was great. No, I mean geeky in a good way. Geek, yeah, yeah, geek to sure. me is a very beloved term. And just started moving into an in-depth study of the brain okay. and trauma and seeing the impact. And then when um, 9-11 happened, 
you know, we were all impacted by that in our own ways. Sure. And the kind of the ripple effect of that across the world and the conversations I was having with my professors and the other students really highlighted for me the impact of trauma on our everyday experience. And that set me up for where I started to go next. I'd also, in the modeling world, been exposed to a lot of eating disorders, struggled with my own stuff as a model. Sure. And so I kind of took eating disorders and trauma, and that became my focus. I've since stepped out of the eating disorder world a little bit, as I realize now that eating disorders are, of course, a coping mechanism. And most of my patients, if not all of them, had trauma. And so I strengthened my focus and endeavors on the treatment of trauma as a way to hopefully eventually heal the world. And stress is right alongside traumatic experiences. Sure. And the stress combination. Sure. No, I, I think that's that's really, really great and, and awesome and, and makes a lot of sense because I think it's become kind of more and more common and it's getting more and more kind of publicity that, you know, it's more and more common that then I think the average person realizes mm -hmm. and yeah. I think I think a lot of people if not maybe the entire population kind of struggles with something at some point right it just depends on how kind of severe it is was that fair to say definitely oh absolutely and the new research coming out about epigenetics is further proof of that epigenetics is basically the encoding on genes of the traumatic experiences of our ancestors and how that's passed down I've read about that and, and I was that's interesting you bring that up that's fascinating to me at least it is it is very very fascinating and in, in some ways it could be intimidating or disheartening and yet as we're going to be talking about today the information and knowledge that we have about the brain now is so transformative in the ways that we can heal. And Kevin, to circle back to what you're saying though, I mean, somebody who was bullied in second or third grade could be carrying a imprint of a trauma that may be guiding certain factors of their life in unknown ways. Sure. So, so we all, we've all got stuff. No, that, yeah, totally. So walk me through kind of your practice now and you have a bunch of kind of techniques and stuff and you're, mm -hmm. you're super busy, you're booked months in advance, kind of walk yeah. me through exactly what you're doing now and, and how you're helping people with this stuff. So my background is neuroscience and then I'm my doctorate in clinical psychology. So I would say my, my practice is neuroscience informed and okay. my goal is always to be on the cutting edge of fast, effective healing. Okay. And so when something comes out that works, I go figure it out and bring it back to my patients. And that's where I've basically become known for that in the community. And it's allowed me to set up a neat way to work with my colleagues and my patients in such a way that I'm delivering these new techniques. And so now I'm doing trainings and a lot of them as well. Uh, my, my personal specialization as a clinical psychologist is in adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse, which is okay. pretty dumb. Sure. Um, that, I would say, is a good portion of my practice. The, the gift that I have that these tools have given me is the ability to work with people who have um, one-time acute stressors, okay. so somebody who's assaulted or raped or somebody who um, has a an injury that results in trauma. So, and those usually now only take one to three sessions. 
to really? allow the brain to heal and release. Yeah. That quick. It's pretty that quick. It's, it's wow. really amazing work what we can do now and, and, and unheard of. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Like usually that at least it, from what I, I understand, like that could take months, if not years at years. Like kind of the earliest, and, right? Yeah. And, and, and traditionally it has. Okay. But now with the information about how the brain works, we can target the exact neurons in the amygdala that have encoded the trauma and release those. And I'll have patients who come in for, I mean, sometimes just one session with symptoms of PTSD. Okay. And the symptoms completely remit after one session. Wow. Yeah. And, and the neat part about these new tools is I can teach them to my patients. And okay. I think that's a large part of what the conversation we'll be having today is these are self-applied. And so the, uh, the other portion of my practice are business individuals, you know, with my MBA, I kind of tapped into a lot of the corporate world. And I'll have people who come in for a one-shot 90-minute session with me where I'll teach them a bunch of tools that they'll then apply in their daily lives to modulate their nervous system. Okay. So that when they get pushed out of their comfort zone, so they're feeling anxious or stressed or you know, a big deal goes down in the wrong way, they have a tool that they can immediately use to get themselves back in balance. Sure. And I think because, that's great. Which is, yeah, it's very empowering. And when one of the things we know now is when we're pushed outside of our zone of tolerance, it's basically as though our nervous system has gone on a binge drinking experience. Really? We'll have a stress hang, yeah, we'll have a stress hangover for 12 to 36 hours. Wow. Interesting. And that means we're more vulnerable. Now, if we think about our entrepreneurs, those who are doing startups, or even those anywhere in the corporate world, how frequently are they being pushed outside their zone of tolerance? Sure. You could probably argue maybe sometimes a few times a day. (laughs) (laughs) A few times a day. Yeah. And and Exactly. And it's exponential each time you get pushed out. And then if you get pushed out even further. So it could be I woke up late. I'm rushing, I'm getting into the car, I spill my coffee on my white shirt, but I have a meeting with the boss, you know, and then all of a sudden, that's a 36-hour stress hangover. So for the next 36 hours, you're more tense and reactive. Sure. So walk me through, like, what are the techniques called and what's your practice called? And, and walk us through kind of some of the techniques that you, you teach people how to use on their in their daily lives. So... The techniques that I'm referencing are kind of the layman's term is the havening technique. Okay. And the, the word, it's the transitive verb for haven, which okay. is a safe place. Sure. And the, the scientific um, term for it is the amygdala depotentiation technique. Okay. So havening little, is little obviously denser. easier. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and it, they're called this because they create the electrochemical representation of safety in our body. Okay. So when we feel safe and calm, there's a certain electrochemical stamp that's present in our brain. And the administration of the techniques by self or other creates that same environment internally. Okay. And these techniques can then be applied to depotentiate encoded traumas, whether they be a big T, like a big a, somebody being assaulted, sure. or a small T, somebody being bullied. Okay. And when we depotentiate those neurons, then the 
amygdala is no longer driving all of our information processing because those neurons are potentiated or activated in the neuro in the amygdala. That part of our brain is no longer driving our information processing. Okay, interesting. So yeah, no, keep going. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So um, to, to simplify that a little bit, part, partly what happens is when something stressful happens that's stressful enough that our brain goes, you know, that was a pretty big deal. I need to remember that. These little neurons become activated permanently in our amygdala. Okay. And all, all data that we see in our environment or experience, smell, taste, touch, those five senses, first go through the amygdala before any part of our brain gets it for rational processing. Interesting. Which means there's a filter. Sure. So somebody who was bullied back in third grade encounters somebody when they're 33 who remind 33 years old who reminds them of that bully. Their little amygdala is going to go, oh, that person. Wow. And that will impact how the, how they react to that person. That's interesting. Yeah, it's. It's a pretty big deal sure. when we go back to that idea of we've all got stuff. Sure. Well, and realistically, at some point, some like pretty much everybody's bullied at some point, right? It just depends on how yeah. severe it was, right? Like, mm-hmm. interesting. That's totally how, fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, how, how severe it was and, and their internal sense of self, a number of factors. But yeah, if it was severe enough, it will, it, they will, their brain will carry it forward. Sure. Even if, and they even kind of not really knowing. Correct. Not yeah, and not knowing, not knowing at all. Quite frequently, just knowing that there's something about that person that feels off. Interesting. That's wild. And sometimes that's a yeah, it is. It is wild. And you know, sometimes that's an authentic intuition of okay, this person's following too close. But sometimes it's I'm walking into a room and I'm giving a presentation, and that person's just got this face that makes me feel anxious, and I don't know why. Okay. Interesting. So I'm curious then, before we kind of get into some of the stuff that, you know, maybe people can try and, and then maybe have to come actually like have a session with you, do you do this stuff in person or over video chat or over the phone or, or do they have to be in person? I do my sessions in person. Okay. Uh, for me, it's just more comfortable. Sure. Um, that being said, we do have practitioners worldwide. Okay. Who do use teletherapy, which is, you know, via a HIPAA compliant uh, version of Skype right. or some FaceTime actually is HIPAA compliant. Um, so the, the techniques don't have to be done in the same room as the practitioner who's going to be engaging them with the person. Gotcha. And th- that goes back to that opportunity that people have to learn these techniques and self-apply them Okay. to create their own practice for maintaining homeostasis in their day-to-day life. Sure. No, I, I, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. So maybe what what do you, like kind of from maybe the business kind of maybe startup professional side of things, what do you see quite a bit is, is pretty common and, and kind of maybe what are some things that people can try to do kind of on their own to cope with some of these things? So I see a lot of individuals who come in because they have maybe a a boss who's pretty daunting or they feel as though they're not living up to the boss's expectations. Okay. Um, 
So that tells me anxiety, insecurity, self-doubt. Um, I do have numbers really come in because their bosses are actual bullies. And then we do, you know, have to engage HR in certain areas. Sure. Um, but that aside, so that's one. Another one that comes up a lot is, especially with the entrepreneurs and people who are in the startup world, is burnout. Sure. And feeling as though they don't have what it takes. Sure. And that, that deeply rooted self-doubt that no matter how hard they try, they just can't quite break through a barrier. And sometimes the barrier is procrastination. Sure. Sometimes that barrier is just avoidance and an inability to sit down and get the work done or um, pick up the phone and make the calls they know they need to make. Uh, and then also a lot of social anxiety. Okay. The how do I network? I'm scared to network. I'm afraid that I'm not going to say the right thing or be the right way. Sure. And then I'm not going to make the right connection and then my business is going to fail. So you can see how big the perception will become. If I don't talk the right way to this person, then my business fails. Sure. Um, that, that's a huge amygdala filter there of fear. Totally. And no. all of those things. Oh, go ahead. No, I, go keep going. Sorry. That's it. And all of those things obviously get in people's way of being successful. Sure, very much so. Yeah, and we we go on LinkedIn and we see, you know, we, as we were just speaking about um, before the call started, that there's, you know, every day 20 new articles about how to be successful, how to be your best self, how to be this. And so we make these great lists and we go, okay, I'm going to create these behavioral changes. But sometimes these things are subcortical. Sure. They're not, it's not a conscious choice and we don't have the opportunity to do mind over matter because that little amygdala is back there going, nope, you're not going to go talk to that person because then your business is going to fail Sure. or it's not even worth getting out of bed today. You're not good enough. Fair. So, yeah. so how do people kind of. De start to deal with this stuff and what is there some what are things that they can do because and I don't mean to kind of like talk bad about some of this stuff but you like on those <laughs> lists you just mentioned like people say like do yoga or meditate or or whatever and sometimes that works for people and sometimes that doesn't work for people or sometimes even mm -hmm. the thought of doing that stuff causes more anxiety right or anxiety. To go to the gym yeah. or like there's they're all on those lists right and so how uh -huh. do you like what do you tell people to do with with that kind of stuff yeah and you're exactly right Kevin even those ideas of if I do these things I'll be successful but I can't even get to the gym or I can't even get sure. to the yoga room or I don't want to do yoga exactly right that means I'll never be successful yeah um, so chunking it down into smaller steps okay and the when we're working with the brain so i'm going to take a moment sidestep to sure. describe a little bit of what the techniques look like and then sure. i'll circle back around so when when we're stressed we tend to do certain motions as humans we might you know, rub our hands together or wring our hands you see politicians on tv they're frequently doing that if they're under the gun interesting um yeah. we'll we'll hug ourselves or if you see a friend who's having a rough day, you might walk up and rest your hand on their shoulder and kind of run your hand down their arm. You know, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll frequently, you know, kind of run our hands across our brow 
or rub our brow when we're stressed. Interesting. Do those things sound familiar? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And what an article that came out in the early, in 2012, I believe it was, um, by a gentleman named Harper, he stuck brainwave caps, so something that measures what's called a QEEG on individuals and stimulated those parts of the brain or stimulated those parts of the body, which resulted in a brainwave activation. And so the act of rubbing your hands together gently, just like you're, you know, running them under warm water, washing them, generates a delta wave. And okay. it generates a delta wave at 10 to five, five to 10 times your natural resting state. And the act of hugging somebody or gently running your hand down your arm generates a delta wave at 30 to 50 times your resting state. And I am going to tell you in one minute what a delta wave is. Okay, sure. And then running your fingers across your cheekbones or across your brow, so right above your eyebrows, generates a delta wave of 90 times your resting state. Interesting. Now, so those things that we do when we're stressed are generating an electrochemical wave, a delta wave, that is inherently soothing to our system. Okay. This is the same wave we get when we're in deep sleep. Oh, interesting. And we don't traditionally have this wave present in our system in the awake state. So when our eyes are open, there's basically no delta going on. Okay. The delta wave in that deep sleep, though, allows for the release of the human growth hormone. Okay. which is a necessary component for cell regeneration. Okay. So basically it makes our cells prepared for us to start the next day. Sure. That's why we don't feel good when we don't get sleep. I was, that was going to be my next question to you. Is like, is that why <laughs> you feel terrible if you don't sleep, yeah. especially if it's days on end or weeks on end? Days on, yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a huge depletion in that. Okay. And when, when we proactively generate the delta wave, so through gently running your palms, so you're rubbing your hands together palm to palm, or you know, starting right above your shoulders and gently running your hands down the outside of your arms, just like you're giving yourself a nice hug or running your fingers across your cheekbones or your forehead, you're also generating increased levels of serotonin, antidepressant fame, right, the happy drug sure. or the happy neurotransmitter, and GABA, which is a very soothing neuromodulator. You're releasing those into your system. Okay. And so these actions bring the autonomic, autonomic nervous system, which is our, everything outside our brain, basically, okay. into a calmer state. Interesting. So, and so when we're in our fast-paced corporate life, driving towards things, or when we're feeling, I can't get out of bed, I'm depressed, and we're thinking mean things about ourselves, we're actually causing activation within our system and doing these motions calms our system down. Okay. So you would recommend trying some of this stuff like throughout the day if you're experiencing some of this stuff? So, yeah. So simply doing the motions for maybe two minutes will, what I call with my patients, it will give you a dose of GABA and serotonin. It will dose you with those delta waves. Okay. So that's the sound, that's the foundation. We call that the havening touch. Okay. And then it, say 
have you ever had an experience where you just can't stop thinking about something and it's unpleasant? Oh, for sure. Sometimes it even wakes me up in the middle of the night. So yeah, I get that. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. So then what you want to do is give your brain something else to think about. Okay. And how While do you do that? So that could be going through the alphabet and finding five living things for every letter of the alphabet, A to Z. Really? Interesting. I've never heard this before. And and it's just a pure distraction technique. The difference is you're going to then be applying that havening touch. So the face, the arms, the hands, while doing that exercise. Okay. And and should you be and like what, listening to music or does it matter or no? Or, or like how does that It doesn't matter. Come? Okay. That doesn't matter. You're, you're just make, giving your brain a different job while applying the, the havening touch. So while activating the delta waves in your system. Okay. And what that does is it allows the delta waves to go in and calm your system down and actually start depotentiating the little neurons in that amygdala that are causing the distress or the disturbance. Okay. And, and then I like, tell me if I'm accurate here. If, if I do this for an, like after a while, it just kind of goes away or it becomes a lot easier. Just mm -hmm. kind of like just working on anything. Yeah. So the foundational you do it anytime you start feeling activated and it will calm you down. Okay. Now, what I, what I recommend with my patients is take a kind of an assessment on a scale of zero to 10 mm -hmm. before you start and go, well, okay, I'm at a six. I'm pretty uncomfortable. So 10 would be the most uncomfortable you've ever been and zero is completely zen. Okay. And go, okay, I'm at a six. I'm, I'm feeling pretty angry about this right now. So if you're thinking about something and it's waking you up in the middle of the night and you can't stop thinking about it, but yeah, I'm, I'm at a six. Okay. Then start applying, you know, arms, face, and hands. And go every letter of the alphabet for living things, and then check back in. Interesting. Yeah, okay, you know, I'm at a two. Okay. And then maybe you hum several rounds of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Okay. Or you imagine you're shooting basketballs. It can be any distraction technique that's neutral. Okay. And then you check back in until you're at a zero. Interesting. But, and here, here's where it gets really cool. So this thing that's waking you up in the middle of the night, Frequently when that happens, it's because there is an event that happened during the day that triggered you. Sure. Right? Sure. So um, you're in a meeting with somebody and they cut you down. And you just keep going, oh, I should have said this. Why didn't I say that? That person's such a jerk. Blah, 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 blah. Sure. So you can go back in your mind and reimagine that experience. And activate it as though it's happening all over again. Okay, interesting. So you intentionally bring that up. And then once again, do the distractions while applying the touch, so arms, face, and hands. And there's quite a few YouTube videos that um, will show you how to do the touch if you YouTube havening. Okay, interesting. And you will actually depotentiate that experience so that your brain's no longer holding on to it. Okay, so like letting it go kind of a thing? Yeah, it's letting it go. But this may only take 10 minutes. Okay, interesting. So it's pretty quick. Yeah, totally. And then it gets even better because say you have an experience as a child where you're like, 
Yeah, I totally remember when that guy on the playground, you know, hit the tetherball and it hit me really hard and then everybody laughed at me. Okay. I, I don't know if you had, I don't know if you had tetherball when you were yeah. a kid. It was a big thing in Kansas. Yep. Sure, <laughs> um, yeah. I remember that. And, yep. And th- you can actually go back and bring up that childhood experience and see, okay, wow, yeah, that, that still hurts when I think about it. This actually happened to me. Um, that still hurts when I think about it. And then do the same process. Apply hands, arms, face, distraction techniques until you take that down to a zero. Okay. What's amazing there is what you've just done is release an experience that is likely playing a role in how you're interacting with your present day life. Because if you're 30 years out from an experience and it still causes emotional activation, negative emotional activation when you think about it, you can bet that memory is encoded in your amygdala. Totally. For sure. That makes sense. And so it's still getting in your way. And this is a lot of my clients who come in with social anxiety have these types of memories. And I did too. I had severe social anxiety. Okay. Interesting. So- and so you can actually pinpoint those old memories in your life and release them. And that's one of the things that I teach my patients to do when they come in for the, the one 90-minute session okay. is here's how you, you use these tools. There's a number of other ones, but that's the foundational one. Here's how you use these tools to just let your brain heal. And it can take anywhere from five to you know, 20 minutes per memory. But I just say make a list and start working through your list. Okay, interesting. What about journaling? Do you recommend that or how have you kind of, or what's your opinion on that? Because you, you kind of read that online as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, journaling it has a lot of really great scientific evidence behind it. Okay. The main thing to that I see derail people with journaling is when they stay focused in the negative. Okay. And so we can get lot. It's it's good to vent, and it's really important to circle back around to a place of compassion or gratitude at the end. Okay. Because but, what that does is it opens up the ability to have perspective about the situation in a different way. So if we're venting about somebody, she did this, did this, did this, did this, then we get that cycle going that's going to wake wake us up in the middle of the night. Right. So instead of because they did this, 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 and they're all activated about it, then you can do those distraction techniques that I was just talking about. Right. Or see if you can intentionally pull your brain in a different direction and go, yes, and here are three good things about that person. Okay, interesting. No matter how angry you are at them. Because the com- compassion and gratitude have a really hard time coexisting with negatively valenced, so basically negative emotions. Okay. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So I'm kind of curious, how do you, what do you tell people that say like, I don't have time to, you know, potentially journal or yoga or meditate or do all this <laughs> exactly, stuff, right? Yeah. Or even just try some mm-hmm. of these kind of techniques, right? Because some people yeah. say, well, I don't have 10 minutes in a day or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you deal with, or what do you tell people that are just like, you know, I'm too busy for this stuff? Yeah. Uh, my first question is, do they have two minutes? Okay. Sure. I mean, most people have two minutes. Sure. And, I mean, and <laughs> I, I literally have uh, prescribed some of my patients, like, every time you are on the toilet, haven your arms. Really? Interesting. 
Yeah. Like that, that is okay. If that's all you've got, heave in your arms and see if you notice a difference. And inevitably they'll come back and they'll say, this is awkward to talk about, but I did feel calmer. <laughs> no, but sure. That's, that's awesome. You know, I mean, make it, make it work for your life. I, th- I think so much of the message that we're given is, okay, make sure you get your eight hours of sleep, with, but make sure you're up at 5 a.m. and make sure you get your two hours of yoga and one hour of running and make sure you only eat these things and get everything else accomplished. And as an entrepreneur myself, it's not realistic. Totally. And that was actually, it's a perfect segue into kind of my next question for you is like, you're, you're still like, obviously practicing, you're, you're a doctor, you, you take patients, you know, you're building your own kind of startup as well. So you're right in the trenches, like uh, probably a lot of people listening to the show that are working 12, 16 plus hour days, yeah. right? And so yeah, you're almost, you're, you're the perfect person to talk about this stuff, right? Because you probably are busier than most people, right? And right? <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. N- knowing who your audience is, I'd say we're all somewhat probably comparable. Sure. Okay, um, fair enough. But- <laughs> but we're we're putting in long hours, right? Yeah. And so within those long hours, I mean, when I look at my life, uh, I'm a runner. Okay. And I, I feel it when I don't run. Okay. And what and do you mean by you feel it? Just out of curiosity. Uh, my energy is lower. I don't okay. sleep well. Okay. Um, I just a little less clear in my mind. Now, that being said, um, as you, you know, I'm expanding my private practice. I'm onboarding five people. Sure. I have a training organization. I have a training coming up, and I'm prepping for three others that are now across the nation. Right. And, you know, also fairly newly married, still renovating a house. I mean, I look at my life and I go, okay, could I have taken on more? <laughs> And running is one of those things, as it does, it immediately falls by the wayside. Sure. And so what I have found for my own life, and that, again, is where these techniques are so powerful, is I can at least balance my brain, which inherently balances the rest of my body by doing two minutes of havening, um, just, even if it's just the application of the touch with you know, the meditation of imagining I'm on a beach and I set the alarm on my phone okay. for two minutes and I imagine the waves rolling in. And as the one wave rolls towards me, while applying the touch, I say the word peaceful. Okay, as it rolls back out, I say the word calm. It says peaceful, calm. I do that for two minutes and then I restart. I okay. just get back to my day. So it's recognizing that life is going to be chaotic and sometimes for success, it's a, it's a mandate. Sure. Fair enough. And to really practice gratitude and self-compassion and being gentle. So rather than beating ourselves up, I didn't, I haven't gotten to the gym all week. What's wrong with me? It's, I haven't gotten to the gym and I'm driving myself to do what I really love and I'll schedule my week next week so I can get to the gym or I haven't gotten to the gym. That's okay. This is temporary where we are. And at least I'm taking care of my brain, which means I'm taking care of my body. Got you. So, so it's finding the tiny pockets, even if it's on the toilet. Sure. So making it work. No, I, fair, fair enough. So I, I would put myself in this boat. Like I don't really work out that often. I, I, I get that I should, um, but, mm-hmm. and I don't make the time. I, I get that part of it. But yeah. I think my struggle is like, 
I'm like, I'm tired, right? It's like, that's the last mm-hmm. thing I want to do, right? And yeah. and to be yeah. fair, like, I, I used to really enjoy running kind of growing up as a child. Like, I was on the track mm-hmm. team and that kind of thing, right? And I used to really like long distance running. And now just even thinking about the it kind of gives it. me anxiety about just like, yeah, I should be doing yeah. something. But, and, you know, yeah. like, I'm tired and I get it's an excuse, but... And, and even I find, like, even if I, I get at it for a few weeks, getting over that, like, hump where I can keep mm-hmm. keep it actually going on a, you know, semi-regular yeah. basis is like, mm-hmm. extremely difficult for extremely me. And I'm sure hard. I'm not the only one that feels that, right? And so yeah. how do you yep. get over that? Yeah, and I feel that too. Sure. <laughs> I, I totally resonate with that. Even, you know, calling myself a quote-unquote runner, I totally resonate with that. When, it, when I fall off, pattern mm-hmm. it is so hard getting back on the pattern um yeah you know, one of the words you said there kevin is the word should okay and that is a word that we use so frequently in our day-to-day conversations that we have with ourselves that word inherently generates a feeling of guilt or not being good enough we're okay, letting fair. ourselves or somebody down sure and so as soon as we say i should do this we're going to feel bad. There's a little bit of us that's going to go, okay, which starts to feed into, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And so there, there's a great, um, Ellis. Yeah. He, he's a famous psychologist who had the term you're shitting all over yourself. <laughs> and I, like I think that. that's a really powerful. Yeah. I, I do. Too. I think it's a really powerful reminder. Sure. of what that term can do for us. And so monitoring the language into a place of choice. As soon as there's choice, we have what's called internal locus of control. We can say, oh, I'm going to choose this or not choose this. Okay. And saying, okay, what if I chose to take a walk today? And then your brain can start to ponder, what would that be like? Without an expectation of success or failure, it's just putting the possibility on the table along with all the other possibilities. Right. And finding something to say, what if I chose this that you have a positive history with? Okay. And thinking about how you felt in a positive way when you had done that previously with no expectation. And again, just like, what did that feel like when I did that? And our brain has positive memory traces. So if you go back to you know, running track and putting yourself in that space, how did that feel being in that body with that energy? Right. Your, your brain's going to go, yeah, that did feel pretty good. Huh. And then allowing yourself, to say, what if I chose to take a walk? So again, it's not I'm going to go choose to run. It's just what if I chose to take a walk? Okay, interesting. And, sure. and it's just it's a slow reframe. Just to try on and doing that with anything. So a lot of people will say, don't, I I will not eat cake today. Well, (laughs) the brain doesn't process the word not in a normal way. It kind of kicks that word out. So what it's really hearing is I will eat cake. I got you. (laughs) Interesting. So it's, yeah. What if I had a salad for lunch? What would that be like? And then your brain's like, oh yeah, that does sound like a good idea. That that feels better when I do that rather than carbo loading right before going into my, you know, afternoon session. Yeah. Okay. No, that that's interesting. You're you got me really thinking about this quite heavily just as we're talking here. So, I I, I think that's that's 
that's really good advice, actually, for, for a lot of people. And I think it just could apply to anything that people are kind of yeah. looking that they wish they could do, right? And I think majority, everybody has something that they're like, I really wish I was doing more of X or Z or whatever, right? It doesn't really matter what it, the thing is, but. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, and even just, you know, waking up in the morning and being like, oh my gosh, it is so early. I don't want to get up. I'm not a morning person. I sure. don't want to be doing this. And, you know, considering, well, okay, well, what if I had energy? Sure. And, and, and literally the brain will start to go to the possibility of having energy and it starts to generate that. Like, oh yeah, what if I did have energy? And, and that's a way I get out of bed. I'm not a morning person. Same and that's here. the way I get out of bed a lot of times, that and my puppy that jumps on me. Sure. But, <laughs> You know, even doing what if I had energy and my brain just starts to go, oh, yeah, I guess there's the possibility of that. No, I, I, I think. And so, no, keep going. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm and just, so, and so, <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So the, the generation of possibilities and a really neat exercise um, is a creating possibilities exercise where, again, applying that havening touch. So just, you know, gently giving yourself a hug, rubbing your arms or your hands or your face while you do it and asking yourself five times, what if I blank? You know, what if I was, what if I was confident today? Or what if I had energy today? And then checking in, how does that feel? Well, I do feel more energetic. I can have energy today. How does that feel? Say that five times whilst applying the havening touch. And then you know, I am energetic. And we're like, wow, I actually am. Even if you're dead tired because you've only been sleeping three hours because you're in the middle of a huge product launch or, launch or something. Right. Your brain will start to go, oh, yeah, energy. I've got that. That's interesting. And, yeah. It's, it's really neat. No, I, I think that's that's really great. And that's a lot of really good advice. But sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. So... Maybe let's yeah. close with mentioning where people can get more information about you, the havening technique, and anything else you want to mention before we kind of close off. Perfect. Um, so there you can find me. Uh, my last name is spelled T as in Tom, R-U-I-T-T. And my website is drtruitt.com. And I also am on Facebook as Dr. Kate Truitt. And Twitter is Dr. K Truitt. I try to post several times a week with just ideas for generating a, a sustainable self, sure. mostly brain brain focused. How do we take care of ourselves in the chaos of life? Um, and then the you can learn more about the techniques at my training organization, which is HaveningLosAngeles.com. And, or you can go to the havening.org website, which is the headquarters um, website. And then you also mentioned if people Google that on YouTube too, they can see a bunch of stuff as well. Yeah, there's two particular videos that are fantastic. Um, Tam, T-A-M is the first name, Johnston. Okay. So it's Johnston with a T in the middle. So J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. She did a fantastic video. It's about 20 minutes of an overview of all of the of how the techniques work in the brain with a closure of how to use the technique on yourself. Okay. And that, that's a brilliant video. And then um, Paul McKenna, who is a bit of a guru in Europe, did a video where he will walk you through doing the distraction technique that I described on the call today. 
Okay. And the, the one recommendation I have is his movements are quite fast. So take, close your eyes, listen to his voice, but slow and see how he does the movements and then slow those down by three. Okay, interesting. So his are a little too rapid. Sure. Um, but it's a really good guide for putting those techniques to work. And then my email is kate at drtruitt.com. So if anybody would like to reach out with questions or look towards scheduling a session, that would be fantastic. I'm more than happy to do that. And I also do a lot of public speaking and outreach. So going into community areas and um, teaching these foundational tools to corporations, the schools, um, and the like so that we can just deliver them and help people have a better understanding of the brain and how we can help ourselves be stronger in the face of everything that's going on today. Sure. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time into your day to be on the show and look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.